Imagine there is an old lady laying in her bed as she quickly passes away in her sleep from a stroke one spring evening in May of 1885. She is given a Christian burial, her eulogy presided over by a well-respected minister within the community, and all of her friends and loved ones attend to show their respects. Later, she is interred in the very cemetery where her first husband and her children, who preceded her in death, had been buried. Now imagine, years go by, decades, and then one day, over 86 years later, all of a sudden, a story springs up mentioning this woman. Now, this isn't a nice story. This is a very wicked slanderous story, where she is accused of being a witch, a devil worshiper, and someone who allegedly sacrificed her baby, or someone else's, to Satan by piercing their brain with a knitting needle. Not only that, but the story also claimed that she committed suicide by hanging herself at a specific property in town, one she never had any attachment to during her lifetime. Well, this happened in the town of Burrowville, Rhode Island, and the innocent victim's name in this story is Bathsheba Sherman. Come with me on this journey today, where I will be going through all of the facts surrounding this horrific story. I will dispel all the rumors and the myth behind this newly fabricated lore and I will share with you the facts, not only about Bathsheba's life and death, but that of the house on Round Top Road, also known as the Old Arnold Estate, but best known as the Conjuring House. I am your host, Jamie Rubio, and this is Stories of the Forgotten. Sometimes histories about people from the past become distorted due to overactive imaginations and just the passing of time itself. Like the childhood game of telephone, after so many retellings, it is hard to find where the facts of a story stop and where the fantasy begins. Take the story of Bathsheba Sherman for one example. No one knew her name or her history besides maybe a local historian or two prior to being mentioned in the film The Conjuring. In fact, most people nationally and globally had never heard of her until the movie came out in 2013. The movie was said to be based on the files of paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren, who had visited the home of the Perone family in 1971. The family claimed to have been tormented by evil spirits in their home in Burville, Rhode Island. Let me make this perfectly clear from the beginning. There was a real person named Bathsheba Sherman who lived in Burrowville, but she was not the person that the movie portrayed her to be. Bathsheba lived in another part of Burrowville. In the movie, it was stated that Bathsheba Sherman was a witch who worshipped the devil, sacrificed her baby to Satan, and then hung herself from the tree in the backyard. Accounts in the movie portray Bathsheba's spirit allegedly terrorizing all who live in the home, also causing all the different tenants over the years to kill their own children, 
and allegedly possessing Carolyn Perron. This is false. None of the so-called history that was told in the film The Conjuring has anything to do with the real Bathsheba Sherman or the true history of the house on Round Top Road. It is a disservice to the memory of both Bathsheba Sherman's family and that of the Arnold family that these horrific fabrications have been spread, whether it was done purposely or not. The real Bathsheba Sherman was born on March 10, 1812. For the record, Bathsheba was not an Arnold, as Andrea Perron claims in her book House of Darkness, House of Light. In fact, Bathsheba was born a Thayer. Another point to mention is that Bathsheba never worked on the property of the old Arnold estate, nor did she care for a child that died on the property. She was never accused of being a witch, nor was there any accusations of any accidental death or murder involving either Bathsheba or any other persons or infants. Andrea Perone has claimed over the years that it was a Mr. McEachern who told her mother of all of these stories about Bathsheba, but I found some serious discrepancies in that statement. First off, there are no Mr. McEachern's listed as having lived in Burroughville or Harrisville during the time the Perone family lived there. Second, given the time frame, Mr. McEachern would have had to be over a hundred years old had he been able to say he actually knew Bathsheba during her lifetime. Even so, he would have been a child and not an adult. I scoured through old census records, phone directories, death records, and I have found not one Mr. McEachern that would match the description of the age and time period that the Perones lived in town. No, I find it very unlikely that this alleged Mr. McEachern ever existed in the first place. In reality, the story regarding Bathsheba Sherman was literally conjured up by either Lorraine Warren or Carolyn Perron. In all likeliness, though, my money is on the Warrens. It has been proven by way of actual research on more than one occasion that the Warrens had been caught falsifying or should I say over-embellishing, backstories in order to push their investigations into the limelight. Need I mention the story of the Amityville house? If you've done your thorough research on that story, it is known and has been proven that the Warrens really pushed the Lutzes into embellishing and fabricating much of their story for publicity. By the 1980s, a tabloid magazine covered this story by a contributor known as Tony Spera. Yeah, the same Tony Spera that's the son-in-law of the Warrens. In that article, it states that a former fashion model and her husband had to flee from a headless ghost that they had encountered in their haunted house they purchased in rural Rhode Island. It goes on to give their names as Carol and Ronald Barron, and make such claims as being beaten by an unknown attacker, dirge-like music coming from an unattended piano that played by itself, and terrifying screams. It also mentions oranges that bled, I'm not joking, phones ringing constantly even after they'd pick up the line, doors bursting open, and psychic lights shooting down from the chimney. Now, I don't know about all the other stuff, but I can tell you that the chimney story actually came from the Kenyon family, 
Uh, one time lightning had struck the house and it shot down the chimney. And I know this story from speaking to Norma, the former owner of the house. And this was a story passed down in the home's history. So there's really nothing paranormal about that. I'm not sure if the Perone family actually claimed this story or if it was just added into the article by Mr. Spera, but I just thought I'd mention that lightning actually had struck the house and went down the chimney at one point in time. As the article continues, it states that not even ex an exorcism could rid the house of the evil presence and that they had to ask the Warrens for help. Ed Warren was quoted saying, quote, It has been plagued by many tragedies over its 300-year existence, murders, suicides, and drownings. A 98-year-old woman who practiced black witchcraft had lived there. In her earlier years, she had murdered her own child by driving a nail through her head as a gift to Lucifer. Yes, he actually said this in a tabloid magazine article. If you'd like to look at it, I have it posted on my Facebook page if anyone wants to read it. It's a copy of the article, so it's black and white, but it's on there. So if you Google Jamie Rubio and you go to my writing page, you can see it there. Going back to the story, the article concludes by claiming that they could not rid the house of its evil, even with an exorcism, so the family fled to Georgia and the house was scheduled to be buried under 60 feet of water with the planning of a man-made reservoir in the area. Well, we know that that didn't happen either. Sadly, this story only continued to be spread even more with future publications. In the article written by Kenny Biddle for the Skeptical Inquirer, he also doubts the likelihood that a Mr. McEachern had ever existed, and he believes that he knows who was the first to publish the rumors in book form. You see, before Andrea had published her book in 2011, there was an earlier book titled Paranormal Realities by Keith Johnson. In that book, as Biddle mentions, the stories of Prudence Arnold's murder, John Arnold's suicide, and a few other deaths were documented. Biddle also recounts a story of an alleged witch who killed her baby that's mentioned in the book, but that there was no name given of this woman. Later on in the book, though, they mention a Bathsheba Green. It is clear they're referring to our Bathsheba, as I will get into in just a moment. Prior to these books coming out, and before the tabloid magazine article, no one had ever written or documented anything in the town's history claiming such accusations. In fact, it wasn't until the 1970s, after the Perone family moved to Burrowville, that these unfounded claims started spreading like wildfire in the small community. Older folks who respected their local history became agitated by the false accusations, while the younger, more superstitious ones wondered about the possibility of this spine-chilling folklore actually being real. Going back to the history, by the age of 32, Bathsheba married Judson Sherman, and soon after, the couple started a family. Herbert Leander Sherman was the only one out of the four Sherman children to live to see adulthood. 
Bathsheba's husband Judson passed away on October 1st, 1881 at the age of 68. By January 2nd, 1883, Bathsheba remarried, this time to a Benjamin Green, a farmer from Providence. If you recall, Keith Johnson's book mentioned a Bathsheba Green. That was because Bathsheba's last name was Green when she passed away, given that was her second husband's last name. Bathsheba eventually succumbed to old age, dying from a stroke of paralysis in her bed at home on May 25, 1885. Her obituary from the Burrowville Gazette read, quote, Bathsheba, widow of the late Judson Sherman, died at her late residence Monday morning last from a sudden attack of paralysis, aged 72 years. The funeral services were held on Thursday, Reverend A. H. Granger officiating, and the interment took place at Riverside Cemetery, Harrisville. She was the last member of the Sire family. Once numerous and well-known in this town, her son, Herbert Sherman, being the only near relative remaining, unquote. Bathsheba was buried next to her first husband, Judson, along with all of their children who predeceased her at the cemetery in Harrisville. For the record, none of the children died of any suspicious or questionable circumstances. As you can see by documented records, Bathsheba Sherman died an old woman in her bed at home. She did not hang herself as the movie would have you believe. We have already established that Bathsheba never lived at the old Arnold estate either, nor did she work there. And she did not commit suicide, but died of old age. So where did this idea of a woman hanging herself come from? The stories that started in the 1970s also included one about a lady, Mrs. Arnold, or Susan Arnold, who allegedly hung herself in the barn on the property. I believe that whomever started this rumor assumed, given the same last name, that Susan Arnold must have lived at the old Arnold estate. The fact was that Susan Arnold lived in another part of town, and did not commit suicide in the house or in the barn, as told and retold over the years. The Black Book of Burrowville, a macabre record of unusual deaths in town which has been added to over the years, lists various unusual deaths ranging from murder to suicides, also listing them by category. Although it is noted that Susan Arnold did kill herself, as I stated before, she did not live at the old Arnold estate on Round Top Road. According to her obituary in the local paper dated April 13, 1866, it reads, Susan Arnold, wife of John, hung herself in a chamber of her residence on Sunday, April 6, aged 50 years. She was the daughter of Dexter Richardson, Esquire. The circumstances were as follows. On Monday morning, she went about her household duties as usual while Mr. Arnold, who is an invalid, was conversing with a neighbor. She went upstairs. In about ten minutes, the neighbor left and Mr. Arnold started to go upstairs, as was his custom to try his strength. At the head of the stairs, 
he turned to go up another flight when he missed the key from the door of a storeroom and he had suspicions something was wrong. He immediately tried the door and found it locked on the inside. He tried to push the door in, but was so weak he could not. He then went through another room and through a window into a shed roof and into another window and there found his wife suspended from a wardrobe hook with a very small cord. They immediately cut her down, but the vital spark had fled. She had evidently made every preparation for the act. She had a loaded gun, a dirk knife, and a file of mercury in the room with her, and had also laid out upon a bed in another room all of the clothes for her burial. It is a sad affliction to her friends, unquote. As terrible a story as that one is, the fact of the matter is that she didn't commit suicide at the house on Round Top Road. That makes all the difference in the story. If that wasn't bad enough, there were more stories of suicides, rumors of drownings, and a few suspicious deaths that seemed to somehow become attached to the home. All untrue, of course. The next story thrown around was the suicide of Mr. John Arnold, the son of Edwin Arnold and the brother to Abigail Butterworth. When Edwin Arnold died, he did not pass the estate to John. He passed it to his son-in-law, William Butterworth, who was Abigail's husband. Although John did commit suicide, he did not kill himself in the attic at the old Arnold estate because he did not live there. According to the Black Book of Burrowville, John Arnold committed suicide in 1911 after taking rat poisoning called Paris Green. He died in his own home, which was near Tarkiln. His obituary in the Peskog Herald mentions this and that he had been in poor health for several years. Quote, in a fit of despondency, he took a dose of Paris Green, and the efforts of a physician to save his life was unavailing, unquote. John Arnold was 57 years old when he died, and his funeral was held at the Universalist Church with Reverend W.S. Turner officiating the services. He was later interred in Douglas. So we have established that neither Susan Arnold nor John Arnold died, at the house on Round Top Road. But what about Edwin? Although he did once own the property on Round Top Road, even he died elsewhere. His obituary dated 1903 mentioned that his body was found, quote, beside a stone wall on the Smith Aldrich farm, north of the Sherman Stock Farm, unquote. This information was kindly provided to me by the former owner of the home, Norma Setcliffe. Apparently, Mr. Arnold had stopped to rest there and he had, quote, died of natural causes resulting from exposure, unquote. He had been missing for seven weeks before Frank Pierce had found what was left of his body. His remains were taken to Waterman's undertaking rooms to be prepared for his funeral and subsequent burial. With all of these misrepresentations in stories, it seems that not even one can hold up when examined thoroughly. You might ask yourself then, if Bathsheba Sherman, Susan Arnold, John Arnold, and even Edwin Arnold did not die at the old Arnold estate, did anybody? Well, the answer is yes. 
However, those deaths were from natural causes, such as illness or old age. Remember, the farm is over 300 years old, so it would be very ignorant on anyone's part to think the house never saw one death. Are there any documents of the deaths at the old Arnold estate? Yes. According to family records of remaining descendants of the Arnold family, Sally Edie passed away at the home as did her two children after suffering from typhus. And I'm sure over the span of the 300 years that the farm has stood that there are other relatives who have lived and died in the home or on the property, but none from an unusual nature. There was one man who died on the property who had been tied to a notorious scandal a few years before. Jarvis Smith was born in April of 1844 in the state of Rhode Island, and according to the 1860 census, he was living with his mother Elizabeth and brother Clovis in Smithfield. The United States Civil War Index notes state that at some point between 1861 and 1865, Jarvis served as a private in Company F of the 9th Regiment of the Rhode Island Infantry. By 1898, Jarvis met a turning point in his life when he was charged with the murder of Britton Rounds. Born in 1863, Britton was the son of Arnold and Marcy Rounds of Foster, Rhode Island. According to the 1885 census, he was listed as a farm laborer in Foster. In October, of 1898, Britton was stabbed to death, and Jarvis was charged with his murder. I could not find any further details on the circumstances of the case, but I did find that Jarvis was acquitted of all charges. His name was well known around the state, as the newspaper stated, as the man who stabbed Britton Rounds at Foster in October 1898. So how did Jarvis Smith die? Well, his body was found lying face down in a rickety shed along the highway by two men who were passing along the road leading from Round Top to Douglas. The shed was on the property of the old Arnold estate. The Butterworth family was notified and Dr. Wilcox was called. When the doctor finally arrived, he ascertained that Jarvis had died from natural causes, predominantly exposure to the elements after passing out from extreme drunkenness. The 1900 census lists Jarvis as having worked for Mil William Maury in Smithfield as a laborer at Maury's Steam Sawmill. The newspaper also stated that since his trial for the murder of Britton Rounds, he had been working at various things in Foster and Burrowville. Two weeks prior to his death, Jarvis had worked at a sawmill in Douglas. The Saturday before his death, he went on a bender lasting several days, eating very little and drinking his cares away. Jarvis was 57 years old when he died, with no wife or children of his own. The final words of his obituary notice stated, He was possessed of rather more than usual intelligence of his class and was a peaceable, kindly disposed citizen when sober. So we have learned that although there are a few deaths we can tie to the property, there are no documents of truly unusual types of deaths having occurred at the old Arnold estate. But what about the murder of Prudence Arnold that Lorraine Warren claimed took place in the pantry of the home? The Uxbridge tragedy, as newspapers labeled it, was truly a very sad story, but it didn't take place at the old Arnold estate. Instead, it took place at the Richardson House in Uxbridge, Massachusetts in 1849. 
According to the Rochester Republican William Knowlton, 22 years old, cut the throat of 12-year-old Prudence Arnold after she refused to marry him. The Woonsocket Patriot also covered the story, adding that little Mary Thayer of Burroughville was at the house with Prudence that day. Although Knowlton convinced Prudence to go upstairs, Mary remained downstairs and did not witness the act. She did say that when Knowlton came down the stairs, she could see he had a lot of blood on his hands. She ran up the stairs to find Prudence laying on the floor making noises where she eventually bled to death. After apprehending Knowlton, the constable interrogated him and it was reported that he resolutely stated he had every intention to kill her and followed through with it because, as he said, love and jealousy would lead a man to do anything. Some of the papers revealed that Knowlton was of low moral perception and was prone to drinking a lot. The defense tried to use the insanity plea, but that failed. Knowlton was found guilty of the murder of Prudence Arnold, convicted and sentenced to death by hanging. Again, as horrific as the story may be, it did not take place at the house on Round Top Road. Now that I've proven to you that none of the alleged murders or suicides took place at the old Arnold estate, let's go back to what could possibly be the origin of Bathsheba's story. Now, when you think back to when the rumors began in the 70s, you have to stop and think about who owned the house before. Now, before the Perones bought it in 1971, the Kenyon family had it. And before that, the Butterworths, who were related to the Kenyans. And before that, the Arnolds, and they had owned it since the 1700s. Now, none of these accusations about Bathsheba existed until the 1970s. But that doesn't mean that old stories from the past couldn't have inspired this fabricated urban legend. So as I was doing research, I found a book called Burville As It Was, As It Is, which was written in 1856. Now, it speaks about an old dilapidated house or castle known as the Old Paul House, which had been uh, built long ago. I mean, if it's dilapidated and falling apart in the 1850s, can you imagine how old this house must have been? So, as the story went on, it stated that a man named Paul Smith and his family lived there and that his wife was completely insane. It's actually really like a sad story. It doesn't go on for very long, but it describes the way that the house was falling apart and that the woman was a ruined mistress. Basically, I'm assuming she lost her mind and she could have been the start of what somebody could imagine as an old ghost haunting the ruins of an old house. So, could this story have inspired part of the idea of the Bathsheba tale? I think it could. Not only does it speak of the mistress of the house becoming insane, but it speaks of the fact that many in the area were easily frightened by the scary house. And then comes the story of Laura Sherman. That's a totally different story. She's buried in her family's cemetery on Buck Hill. And according to locals, teenagers have been flocking to that spot for decades since there's some sort of legend that if you circle her grave three times on a full moon that she will appear. 
I don't think that it helps the fact that Laura Sherman is a Sherman and Bathsheba is a Sherman and how those stories could become intertwined. But the story about the old Paul place, I believe, could have been passed down through the years and parts of that mixed with the old legend-tripping tales of Laura Sherman's grave on Buck Hill, I think somewhere along the line, whoever was allegedly researching the history might have taken tidbits of these stories when they created this over-the-top lore about Bathsheba. According to retired journalist and local historian who was my friend, the late Kent Spotswood stated that the whole story was one of 1970s folklore fantasy. Kent's opinion was that after the publication of the Satanic Bible, which was first published in 1969, that that was when the stories of devil worship really hit the mainstream. He also mentioned that many young women who were lonely and seeking power turned to Wicca, becoming solitary practitioners of the craft, which became almost fashionable at the time. It appears that someone influenced by current events at the time may have taken pieces of Burville history, such as real events and real people, and intertwined them with grossly fabricated false stories. This not only sullied the reputation of Bathsheba Sherman, but all who were involved or lived on the property during those times. It's not a matter of making up a theory and then saying, prove me wrong. But that's exactly what has happened in the case of Bathsheba Sherman and the old Arnold Estates history. The idea that out of all those years, one day the story just came out of the woodwork to reveal itself is quite ludicrous. Bathsheba Sherman was not related to Salem witches, nor was she a witch. She was never suspected of witchcraft and was never accused of any crimes, murders, or suspicious deaths. That entire idea was conjured up in the mind of someone either overly imaginative or delusional. Kent Spotswood searched tirelessly for the history of both the Arnold property and Bathsheba Sherman's life. At one point, he even asked some of his lawyer friends to do some digging in the archives in places the average person would not be allowed to look. After all the time spent searching for any shred of evidence that would back up the slanderous claims about Bathsheba, they came up with absolutely nothing. There are no inquest records about any deaths of infants in the care of Bathsheba or of her own children dying of any suspicious nature. And the facts are that these records do not exist because none of these events ever happened. According to the former owner of the old Arnold estate, Norma Sutcliffe, she had done some thorough research on the home's history as well and came to the same conclusion as Spotswood. Norma insists that while visiting her house several years ago, Lorraine Warren walked around the home and told her, this is such a loving home and the most wonderful place for children. When asked by Sutcliffe why the Perrones had had experienced supernatural events and her family had not, Norma claimed that Lorraine's explanation was that certain dynamics within families can give rise to supernatural activity in the home. Whatever the case may have been, Norma and her husband had lived in the home since 1987 and besides the occasional creaking noises and doors being opened by drafty rooms, she stated that there really wasn't any event she could credit to the spirit realm. 
Nothing had ever happened here that could not be explained by other things, Norma added. Sutcliffe went on to mention that she told the same thing to the Providence Journal back in 1997. In 2019, after Norma's husband had tragically passed away from health problems, she put the house up for sale and it was sold to the Heinzen family. I attempted to reach out to the new owners back when they first moved into the home and I told them straight out that I had hoped that they would be really interested in preserving the true history of the home and not exploiting it. Unfortunately, we see the path that they took. If you'd like to read more about that incident of me contacting the owners and the actual Ghost Adventures episode, you can Google the curse of the Harrisville Farmhouse Ghost Adventures Lies Again, and you can read all about that there. My personal opinion on the haunting aspect of the home is that no one truly knows what happened in that house, except for the people who lived there at the time. I know from personal experience that some houses can lay dormant for years, and so a family can move in, and they experience absolutely no paranormal activity, whereas another family can move in and it's completely active. So I'm not going to question the validity on what the Perrones claim happened to them. The fact that Norma Sutcliffe claims she did not experience any negative activity leads me to believe that whatever might or might not be at that house was drawn to the Perone family. But again, this podcast isn't meant to be about the paranormal activity of the home. Instead, it's a it's supposed to be about the true history of Bathsheba Sherman, setting the facts straight about her story and how she's not in any way, shape, or form connected to that house or the alleged hauntings that happened there. To give an entity an identity and attached to them the name or stories of people who were once actual living human beings and then go on to sully them in death is very wrong. And this has happened to poor Bathsheba and for far too long. My job as a writer is to sift through the story and get to the raw facts. Sometimes we find out that the stories are not based in fact, and so we have the obligation and the responsibility to provide the true information to the public to set those stories straight. I hope that with this podcast, the information on my blogs and in my books, that Bathsheba's true story will finally be told correctly. The research done by the late historian Kent Spotswood was essential in sharing Bathsheba Sherman's true story and dispelling all the rumors that had been erroneously spread about her for the past 50 years. Kent not only helped me in my quest to share the truth about Bathsheba, he also helped other authors as well. My friend and colleague Shannon Bradley Byers wrote a fantastic chapter about Bathsheba's life and death in her book, Paranormal Fake Lore Nevermore. Also, my friend and blogger Kenny Biddle wrote a fantastic article dissecting this entire story on Skeptical Inquirer, which is an online magazine. 
Over the years, Bathsheba's grave has succumbed to the effects of time and the elements, but it has also been a target for vandalism due to the film The Conjuring. Even in the last few years, paranormal programs, television shows, specials, they've all filmed at the farmhouse there in Burville, and they've only exploited the house and Bathsheba even more instead of taking the opportunity to set the facts straight. Sadly, many of them are aware of Bathsheba's grave being desecrated, and nobody's offered to help in the preservation effort to restore her grave. So I set up a GoFundMe account for that purpose. If you would like to donate to helping restore Bathsheba's grave, please go to GoFundMe and search Replacing Bathsheba Sherman's Headstone. Or you can contact Betty at the Burrowville Historical and Preservation Society directly at 401-568-8534 to see what you can do to help in this effort. If you're interested in reading more about this story, my book, Stories of the Forgotten, Infamous, Famous, and Unremembered, has a large chapter dedicated to clearing Bathsheba's name once and for all. If you go to my website, jamierubiowriter.com, you can find a link to find the book. Thank you for listening.